Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the November 30th, 2021 episode of Unchained. My book, The Cryptopians, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze is available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes Noble, or any of your other favorite bookstores. Go to bit.ly slash cryptopians. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-I-A-N-S and pre-order today. Brave Wallet is the first secure wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser with no extension required. You can store, manage, and grow your crypto portfolio all from a safer wallet. Visit brave.com slash unchained to get started. The Nodal Cash app makes earning crypto on your smartphone as easy as turning on your Bluetooth. Nodal Cash is private, secure, and available on iOS and Android. Visit nodal.io slash unchained. That's N-O-D-L-E dot I-O slash unchained to start earning Nodal Cash. Buy, earn, and spend crypto on the crypto.com app. New users can enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in the first 30 days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Today's guests are Anatoly Yakovenko and Raj Gokul, co-founders of Solana Labs. Welcome, Anatoly and Raj. Awesome to be here. Thanks for having us. So you and Solana have had quite the year. Sol started the year at less than $2, and it's currently trading at over 200 The market cap went from $86 million at the beginning of the year to $68 billion. <laughs> so how do you guys feel about Solana's trajectory so far in 2021? Pretty good, right? Good <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's good, it's good to, to see you know the thesis play out. I think it's the, the original one was that if crypto took off and if its value propositions found product market fit um, and if any of the the dreams of what you know uh, a world computer a, a global permissionless distributed ledger you know if any of those dreams could come true then the demand would be you know a thousand or ten thousand x what we had seen before and it would happen really fast and i think that's what's been happening over the last couple of years and Anatoly's design for Solana, the network, is is pretty well suited to that demand and all the use cases. And I think the best part is just seeing people have that, like, I, I think of it as like the iPhone moment, that moment where you see the transaction propagate, you see, you know, um, an account balance change from one browser window to another or from your browser to your phone. And it's just instant and there were effectively no fees. And I think we're going to have more and more of those experiences that just feel really magical. And, and that's, I think that's the most exciting part to me. And Anatoly, do you want to add anything? Yeah, um, you know, I'm an engineer. So what, like, it, it's just really cool to see people use your work. And like the last hackathon having almost 600 teams form just blew my mind because that was more than all the other hackathons combined during our conference, like so many developers just wanted to talk to me and shake my hand. And like, it's just like, I love those vibes. You know, I'm a, I'm a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get you. I'm a nerd. I'm not an engineer, but I'm a nerd. Um, so Anatoly, you were on the show before and you kind of gave your background then, but maybe for listeners who didn't hear the episode, why don't you kind of give a brief recap of it? And then Obviously, Raj, you have not been on the show before, so we can also have you give yours and you guys can kind of talk about how you came together. Yeah, I'm a, the briefest background is I'm a Qualcomm engineer that wanted to build a 
high performance blockchain and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, how can I be brief too? Uh, well, yeah, I, you, I, I mean, you haven't been on the show before, so you can flush it out a little okay. bit more if you sure, like. Sure. I met Raj um, along the way, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my background originally was in, in finance and venture capital. So I started at General Catalyst Partners in Boston. That was, you know, entrepreneurs, investing in entrepreneurs, people that had built, you know, a lot of big um, internet companies and Lotus Notes and, you know, I'd seen like every cycle in, um, in the tech business before. And then I started um, a company in health tech called Sano, which was a, a glucose sensor company that's going to be hitting the market soon. It got acquired later. And then I uh, was at Omada Health, which was an A16Z backed company and sold into health insurance companies with a behavioral health intervention connected scale and, and pedometer and, and health coach. So I think really like before crypto, my journey was building products in the heavily regulated, um, you know, slow, really untouched by, by technology, like healthcare industry. And, you know, seeking the wedge to rebuild that industry from the ground up the way that we had seen, you know, entertainment and media and you know, and newspapers, and um, and and you know, message boards, and just everything get rebuilt so many times. I think I wanted to see healthcare get rebuilt, and then you know, uh, left Omada thinking about building another health tech company, and and met Anatoly, and I think Toly gave me the confidence that all those weird engineers that I had talked to, and all those experiments I had seen in in crypto over the the prior you know five or six years had a chance at, you know, really finding their moment and, and reaching a billion people and that the world would look a lot better that way. So uh, my, you know, my, my journey in crypto jumping in was just basically trying to get everything out of Anatoly's way and help him build a team and get the funding that, you know, they could get this project off the ground. Okay. So at this moment, just in terms of crypto history, I'm sure you, you're all very well aware that the ecosystem is just kind of diversifying in a lot of different ways in terms of the way this technology is being applied. You know, obviously we started with kind of like basic transactions and payments, and then it sort of went to trading and DeFi, NFT art, NFT gaming, DAOs, DAOs. <laughs> in the last week, <laughs> suddenly everybody's talking about DAOs again. Um, obviously now social with uh, your announcement about Alexis Ohanian wanting to invest or investing $100 million into building social media in Solana. So I'm just curious that like, you know, in general, do you see Solana as focusing in any of these particular niches or do you just see Solana as being sort of a go-to platform for all kinds of crypto use cases and people will just do with it whatever they like? I think it's general. And uh, we always, I always have this dream of a billion people with self-custody signing stuff. Doesn't matter what it is doesn't matter what they're doing. I just want them to like have possession of those keys and kind of have that mental model. These are my magic words. I'm signing with them. It's doing stuff in this one shared global experience that's cryptographically controlled. You know, that that's like the overall kind of like vision. And it's not a super well formed because I kind of feel it's the same vision as like 1995 web people had about the internet going to be a billion people on the web. They're all going to be publishing stuff and clicking links. What does that mean? Nobody knows, right? <laughs> like, but we got to build it. We got to build it as fast as we can. And I think all the experiments like DAOs, NFTs, all those things that get people to try this stuff, these are all like worthwhile to do. Like it doesn't matter really right now what the use cases are as long as you're engaging people, getting them to do this and like getting them to self-custody and like start participating in these networks. And Raj, what about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's still so early. And even just the idea of, of people participating with, you know, art and collectibles and having a direct relationship to artists and then building communities ar around, um, you know, those art collections and that being the onboarding path for most users to participate in DeFi for the first time or collect their money towards things like 
buying the constitution. It's just, it's too unpredictable to act like there is one vertical that's going to dominate, you know, all crypto usage and adoption. Um, and if Anatoly's vision of unpredictable but beautiful things happening when a billion people understand their ability to sign transactions directly is the goal, then whatever path to get there, I think, is, um, is, is what, you know, we're focused on, on helping get off the ground. And at this point, it's not even, I think Solana Labs or um, or any one actor in the ecosystem that's fostering these different use cases, they're just emerging as fast as we can think of them and as fast as, you know, one team can find product market fit for anything like a new, you know, gaming economic design or, you know, a new format for collectibles and bringing IP on, on chain. As soon as any of them finds value... I think what we're finding is that that original thesis of performance mattering for every use case is just continually playing out, right? It's always better if it's cheaper and faster and higher throughput. And I think the part that we're just starting to see is how composability between vastly different use cases um, creates more opportunity for serendipity and, and emergent use cases that may not have existed before. Okay, so so you're not like trying to position yourself as the platform that is better for one of these use cases over another, because I feel like early on it kind of was maybe a little bit more about like high frequency type of things, or or just more about that throughput. But but now now you're you're sort of like well, whatever people want to do with it is. So the the high frequency finance, this idea of like a price discovery engine, blockchain and Nasdaq speed, that was always like that's the obvious, that's got to work. <laughs> like uh. if that if that if that doesn't work then we're totally wrong and that was the tip of the spear but like I, 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 we kind of realized as we were building this that what like you're not gonna you know like there's this idea of the web being run by the ad exchange that's a centralized market steal your data right then they try to keep you on a platform and feed you data you don't want that loop is driven by that ad market Solana runs markets, right? If we can replace that market with other markets, let's say for people trading NFTs, then that's also finance, right? That's also high frequency finance because for that for that even to be a possibility, the decentralized market that's for NFTs needs to be as cheap as the ad exchange. It needs to be at that like micro cent, you know, level of of transaction costs for e- for that even to be a remote possibility. So it's not that I think we're going to see NASDAQ shut down and all the stocks started trading on Solana. Is that the rest of the world that's going to start using permissionless decentralized marketplaces for coordination, for content creation, for monetizing artists directly, that's going to grow so much faster than you'll forget about the other stuff. It's just going to be like the most boring place. NASDAQ is going to be the most boring place in the world. <laughs> <laughs> The way that I think about it is, or I guess what I've learned, I think Tolly and I have learned together and like the whole crypto industry is learning is that everything is finance and everything is a marketplace um, and every marketplace can be disintermediated and made more efficient with blockchain. And when you do that, it's better if it's faster and, and cheaper. So, I mean, I think in a way, like it's still DeFi. It's just we're learning that everything is DeFi. Huh. Okay, I like that. That's interesting. And and it makes sense um to a certain extent, which I'll ask you about in a little bit, but I did want to ask, you know, if you're saying that, you know, you don't you're not trying to target specific niches for the uh $314 million fund that you guys uh raised this past summer, uh you know, are you focusing that in any particular area? Like I'm sure there must be a way that you're allocating it, you know. So I was curious about maybe the percentages or yeah. It's not a not thesis, it's really people driven. It's like you find that founder that's like has that look in their eyes. I'm going to get 100 million people to do this thing on blockchain. And those are the people that like we we those are the people we're looking for, those are the people we try to back and all we try to do is just get stuff out of the way. Is it tech? Then we get the tech out of the way. Do they need funding? Either you know, we invest or usually we don't even get a chance to invest because so many hungry PCs now making the same bets. And like our goal yes. is to just like find those people and help them. 
Okay. All right. Well, so I'm sure, you know, and this goes back to what we were saying about, you know, fast and cheap is really good. However, obviously Solana did go offline in September for 18 hours when you had these bots that were spamming the network to try to get in on this initial decentralized exchange offering. What were your takeaways from what happened then? Uh, that people know who we are. <laughs> the amount of, uh, the amount of uh, tweets that I got from uh, people that are enjoying other blockchains <laughs> was, was insane. I, I got a lot of opinions about, about that. What was interesting to me as an engineer was how quickly the validators, because we stress test them all the time on this, like the whole point of beta was that once the network runs, that they should be able to recover it no matter what happens. Like arbitrary failure, something goes wrong, all the data centers are set on fire, these state level attacks that people talk about. There's always some way to recover it. And we test the validators on this at least once a month on a test nut. But never like it never got tested live. And this was them doing it on their own and it worked. And that was like cool. We can actually like it's done. Like we can walk away and it'll keep running forever <laughs> as long as people wanted to wanted to keep running. So that that to me was was really cool to see. The other takeaway uh, obviously was that like we 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 did a pretty good job I think like with how fast people were able to respond and start debugging and like seeing the issues. I feel like I don't know what what other lesson did I learn. Do we need to move slower or do we need to move faster? Probably should be moving faster. The opportunity to like onboard the next billion users is just so huge that like this stuff this ex- kind of might happen. It sucks. You know, there are people that know how to fix it. And, uh, you know, we got to keep our eye on the most important target, which is get people to use blockchains. And so the fix that you put in at the time was something like, um, just making sure that the messages regarding consensus were always prioritized. If and please feel free to correct me yeah, if I'm. There, there's like uh, there was so much spam that some of the validators were starting to see like physical link line failures. Basically, they were overwhelmed with spam before a block producer can create a block. So, a previous attack called the Shanghai attack on Ethereum was actually an attack at the block level, that a block producer was making blocks that were so big that they were over, overwhelming the, the network. This was prior to that, before a block producer could even make a block, somebody was spamming the networks with so many transactions that things were starting to run out of memory, was taking so long to catch up. And effectively, as soon as more than a third of the nodes kind of ran out of memory and crashed and couldn't catch back up to the network while the network was still trying to propose forks, the validators recognized, okay, this is maybe unattainable without us clearing out all the all of the dead forks and, and just kind of like letting the network continue from the last confirmed point. That makes sense. So the fix was just better prioritization prior to creating these blocks and being able to drop messages when there's a flood without uh, losing consensus. So yeah, effect, effectively what you described. I don't, I don't want to get into the details because you got to go dig, dig through the, go, the code for the exact actual changes. But was that fix sufficient for the long term or was it just kind of like a temporary patch or like, you know, what, like, is there more that you could do now or are doing now to kind of prevent yeah. that in the future? Or was that patch like pretty much it? For that, <laughs> there's, uh, as an engineer, I can tell you that there's no... There's no generic fix that could fix all attack vectors. There's specific fixes for specific attack vectors. And this one was actually tested. Um, There's been a bunch of other floods and and attacks similar to that since that so far seems like we did did the right changes. And so far, things are working. But it's unknown whether there's some corner case that could also do another resource exhaustion and cause the network to solve. Okay. And, and I, I actually don't know, cause I, you know, you mentioned the Shanghai attacks on Ethereum and obviously what saved the blockchain at that time was that it had multiple clients. And I'm not sure in Solana, um, you know, what is the situation with that? Do you have multiple clients or is there just a single one? Uh, there's a single client and eventually multiple clients will be a thing. That's just, you know, early days. 
So the blog reported that at Solana Breakpoint, which was your recent conference, that when asked about Solana going offline during that time, that you said it doesn't matter if the next block takes 72 hours to process. It, that's, but it only, it only matters for people who need transactions to happen in milliseconds. Can you elaborate a little bit more on your thoughts? Yeah. So there's like two issues, right? Like, are my funds safe? Am I, am I safe, right? As a bit, as a Bitcoin holder, somebody from that use case, folks that care about like just keeping their funds safe, those outages are pain in the ass, but they're not like, they never risk the person's funds. So if you have a bunch of USDC, right, you self-custody your keys, there's a network outage. It doesn't really matter because Circle has custody of their ledger. That copy of the ledger is not affected. And the network can continue from arbitrary failures as long as there's at least one node like Circle, some DApps or PC node, anybody in the world that has a valid copy that can repopulate the network and let it continue. So no matter what, right, state-level attack, whatever people imagine, there's always an escape hatch. The issue is that that works for, like, I'm holding, I'm just sitting on my funds and not doing anything with them, and I don't care if I get to transact today or tomorrow. But reality is that all applications that are real-world applications need to send their messages now. They need them to be cheap and fast and arrive, right, within a short amount of time. And this is why they even want to use blockchain in the first place. The reality is that like for real world use cases, liveness is the most important thing. That's the thing that needs to be, you know, extremely high confidence with, you know, nine nines of uptime. Okay. So I'm sure you probably saw this tweet, but at that time, Neha Narula of the MIT Digital Currency Initiative tweeted, if your validator community can easily coordinate for a network restart, What's to prevent them from coordinating to block transactions or contracts when compelled to by the SEC? What's your response to that question? Feels like people are saying disorganization is a requirement for decentralization. I think that's a little strange. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The thing is, is that like they are the way that they operate isn't a way to compel them to do anything. They don't have a, a choice to to like process one set of transactions or another. They approve blocks. If there's a block proposer with a set of transactions, it's opaque to them what they are, right? At the end of the day, the folks that uh, interpret those bits in the validator and display to the human that these are dollars or these are coins or these are securities or not securities, right? At that point of the interface, this is where somebody says, this thing you're trading or this thing you're signing, that thing has value. That's where regulation should occur. Not at like the AT&T network switch level. Right? So, because the validators are basically running a switch. They run a box, the box run autonomously. They they make sure that it stays up and that's it. Like what, what other like actions do they take? And yeah, Raj, do you want to add anything to that? No, I think the question's been answered like a, a hundred times on on podcasts and interviews and Twitter. The most annoying thing about the the outage is just the reception from people that aren't actually using the network and the way that they have chosen to conflate that issue with one that is you know catastrophic to the network. Or, um, or that would result in a loss of funds, or one that would, you know, cause an exodus of users or uh, or developers, and we've seen none of that, right? It's it just hasn't happened. I I think of it in terms of the consequence to the you know the network and the reputation of the network. I think it's as significant as the Twitter fail whale was when Twitter was seeing its first big waves of explosive user growth. Yeah, there were days where it was, you know, all you saw was a fail whale. It was an icon that said, you know, we uh, we couldn't handle this much load this moment um, at, at this stage of growth of the network. But, you know, the moment it was back, everyone comes back, they're using it, um, they're prepared to deal with those fail whale moments. And over time, you know, the uh, the platform stabilizes and, you know, the uh, the, the end state of, of growth and, and adoption 
is is not a hundred times uh, you know uh, what it was two days before or four days before. At some point, you know, you you've you've grown past those growing pains. I think we're just you know seeing growing pains in the network and. When we talk to people that actually use the network and that um, you know that have built for it and have built you know some of the largest and most well adopted applications, these are not catastrophic or existential issues for them. It's it's more the perception and you know how uh, repetitive the narrative around it is that that starts to become an issue. But you know there are worse things to deal with in life. Yeah, I did see Chris Dixon tweet that there will always be more demand for block space than there is block space. I think he actually tweeted this in reference to some tweets about Ethereum for this weekend, which we will discuss later. But um, I think it also applies in this case. And frankly, you know, I think in a way, though, I you know, one thing that is interesting to me is that I do think the reason that Solana fell victim to this attack by bots is because the blockchain is so cheap. So I don't know if you have any response to that. That was the the attack vector was prior before you could even check if uh, the transactions that were being proposed by these bots could pay for the for the usage. So it's really before a block producer could even like make a make a decision. Are these things valid? It, it didn't really actually impact the the block level, like level of constraints that you see in Ethereum or other EVM chains. So even prior, before we could even execute things, there was just kind of a flood of messages across the network that started to grow in size because of the number of pending transactions to evaluate was just queued up. You can think of it as a mempool. So when the, all the all these queues blew up, validators ran out of memory and crashed. And that was the bug. It was, the, the thing wasn't like capped. And it wasn't doing just some simple quality of service. And I can only get right. blame myself. <laughs> but but then but what about that point about how it was so cheap? Are you saying that now because there is a check on how much funds they have that then that kind of attack wouldn't be possible? Or I mean it wasn't a purposeful attack. It was So you know. so if if uh, the block producer had resources to, to evaluate all those transactions, nearly all of them would be dropped. Because they were invalid. Oh, I see. Okay, so, so basically, okay. it was just basically pre-block, not like invalid transaction spam, effectively. Okay, so that's why at this point, then this would is no longer an issue. Okay, um, so I also saw that CoinDesk reported that at Solana Breakpoint, a lot of uh, attendees saw it saw Solana as a chance to make money and don't really care about decentralization. And the author called these people trading mercenaries and. Or, or, sorry, I think it was the attendee and said they found other people like them that were there. And so I'm assuming you probably don't agree with that characterization of the community. But I was wondering, you know, assuming that's at least some part of that is true, how do you make this momentum that you currently have for Solana sustainable? Just go hang out at the hacker house or at the dev, <laughs> at the developer side of the conference. That was, that was, that was where I was getting all my energy, just like talking to Armani, to Bartosh, Daffy, all the, all the folks building like these awesome apps that are growing in users. It was, that, was, that was really, really cool. And like during that, <laughs> just during the hackathon, there were, I like walked into the, the house for the first time. It was packed with people just coding. And like on this whiteboard, somebody scribbled like a prize for uh, like 50K prize to go build something. So, so it's that energy of people that I just want to build is there. And all the other kind of folks that come in and out of crypto, the, the coin enjoyers, um, it's fine. It's just part of life. I don't know. <laughs> the event organizers maybe did too, too good a job of, uh, of keeping, you know, all the speculators away from the hackers. You know, I, I think most folks who had that perception of Breakpoint didn't even know that there was a hacker house or that there were two other venues where teams were forming and building and, you know, had it was just like sweat and tears and monitors and whiteboards. You know, a lot of those teams aren't looking for funding, so they weren't exactly trying to, you know, go shake hands and introduce themselves to a bunch of investors. But, you know, I mean, speculation is absolutely a powerful force in the existence and the 
progress that, that crypto has made to date, right? I mean, none of this exists without people um, speculating about the value that's going to get created. And the speculators now have seen enough cycles to know that the place they should be spending their time is where developers are spending their time. And the reason there are a lot of speculators invest, you know, investing and interested in the Solana ecosystem is because the developer ecosystem is, is exploding. If, if, if it wasn't, they wouldn't be here. They wouldn't have shown up to Breakpoint. I, I also I think I think the I would like to see the industry have a little more you know respect for people that are capital allocators. Um, you know there have been years where it was difficult to do it and difficult to stick through. And I know the Solana ecosystem has had a lot of capital allocators that have been very patient capital, um, very thesis driven capital. Um, and you know if they're still showing up um, and you know flying to to Lisbon and. And um, and spending time with all these hackers and and trying to you know be helpful, I think is is not something that should be shamed. And when you talk to developers, what in particular attracts them to Solana over other uh, smart contract platforms? That is a good question because usually our motto is you're going to have to eat some glass to build an application. <laughs> uh, I. I don't, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, with the fact that it is a from scratch re, rebuild of a high performance blockchain that there wasn't, it's all new tech. And that means it's rough around the edges. And to some people, that's a, um, that's a hurdle. But to folks that are like, this is cool. This is cool technology. I can see why you made these choices. I can see like you were, principled about what you were doing and they like get it they actually want to build on top and it's an opportunity to like build awesome things like anchor right we didn't build an sdk because we didn't have time or resources to do so and we just built a really really fast blockchain and when people saw that one of those people was this awesome dev armani that like moved mountains basically <laughs> single-handedly built like probably like the you know i think the one of the most popular developing tools in all of crypto now just for uh, for Solana. So things like that, I think, are, you know, in- engineers, like, you can't, like, really sell to them. It's got to tickle their curiosity. got to show them that there's a, something interesting there, that they can use this as a tool to build thing that they're imagining, that kind of, like, they can barely reach and get there. That makes sense. Yeah, that's, um, I, I totally understand that. Um, so in a moment, we're going to talk more about kind of where Solana fits in compared to some other similar blockchains. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. New users enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in their first 30 days. With Crypto.com Earn, you can get industry-leading interest rates of up to 8.5% on over 40 coins, including Bitcoin, and earn up to 14% on stablecoins. With the Crypto.com Visa card, you can spend your crypto anywhere. Enjoy up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions, and zero annual fees. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. With Nodal Cash, you can earn crypto on your mobile device for free with no hardware to purchase. You just download the Nodal Cash app, turn on your Bluetooth, and start earning. Nodal Cash is private, secure, and easy to earn, whether you're on the go, stuck in traffic, or even while you're sleeping. You can even repurpose your old smartphones to earn Nodal Cash. Visit nodal.io slash unchained to get started. That's N-O-D-L-E dot I-O slash unchained. Join the Citizen Network to earn crypto on your smartphone 24-7. Web3 means freedom from big tech and Wall Street with more controls and better privacy. But your crypto wallet is a weak point. Most wallets are browser extensions, a Web2 technology. That means the same old risks, app spoofing, phishing scams, and theft. Brave Wallet is different. Brave Wallet is the first secure wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser with no extension required. With Brave Wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap assets, manage your portfolio, and NFTs. You can see real-time CoinGecko data built right into your dashboard 
and connect other wallets and other Web3 dApps, all from the security of the most popular privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions and switch to Brave Wallet. Get started at brave.com slash unchained. Back to my conversation with Anatoly and Raj. So as I'm sure you're very well aware, Solana is often seen as competitive with Ethereum. How do you see the two blockchains in the future? Do you just see them as coexisting? Do you see them as taking different niches? Do you see them as kind of like competing head to head and one of them coming out on top? Like, you know, what, what does that future look like to you? Probably all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of, some of these scenarios don't are uh, mutually well, exclusive. Not not all at the same time, but there's you know, like settlement is just a feature, right? Like all all Byzantine fault tolerance systems that have smart contracts also do settlement. So when this idea that we will talk about settlement layer for Ethereum, well, every blockchain does settlement. <laughs> That's just a feature, right? So what does that mean for Ethereum? Those are like questions in terms of like where are people going to go, what chains are they going to use, where the benefits and compounding effects start to accrue. It's hard to know where that stuff plays out. You can kind of see multiple futures where there is a global settlement layer called Ethereum. There is a global execution layer called Solana. And those are symbiotic, right? But you could also see a future where, well, settlement's just a feature. I'm going to deploy my coin at the cheapest possible settlement layer because I don't want to extract any value from my users, right? Like, so you as a as somebody that's building these decentralized organizations, where do you want to, where do you want to do work, right? Where do you want to collaborate? Where do you want to coordinate your community? That place, do you want it to be minimally extractive? Like, do you want it to be the cheapest, fastest place or something else? So, those decisions people are going to make and we'll see how it plays out. Those are unknown unknowns. I know what we're building is a really, really fast, high performance execution layer, but settlement is a feature of that thing too. And Raj, do you have an opinion on this? Hard, hard to know how, how the world ends up playing out. Yeah. I mean, I think Ethereum has like four times as much Lindy effect as as Solana and that Lindy effect has incredible value. So, you know, right now most of the assets are on Ethereum. And I think, you know, one of the one of the biggest reasons for that is that, you know, there's a first mover advantage. Um, there's uh, you know an amount of trust that um, continues to build up over time as as the network um, persists without any catastrophic failures or loss of funds or you know major consensus failures, and that's you know only time can make up for that. And Solana will always have you know will always be younger than Ethereum, um, uh, you know at least the proof of work version of Ethereum. So, I mean, I think the biggest difference between the two right now is that one is proof of work and one is proof of stake, and one came you know several years before the other. Um, and as long as that has value um, and those two, you know, designs have uh, different purposes and functions that they'll, they'll both continue to be valuable. And I know that you tweeted before Ethereum cannot be killed. It's impossible. And it's already a beautiful force of good in the world, empowering millions and creating billions in wealth. Bitcoin is quite obviously this, the same. And this tweet was in response to someone who I guess had been framing um, kind of the competition between the blockchains. And well, you basically, after you finish this tweet as stop framing it as a fight. So how do you prefer to frame what's happening here where we do have, you know, these multiple smart contract layer ones kind of trying to all gain market share at the same time? It's like Solana, Polkadot, Avalanche, Algorand, Near. I mean, which by the way is a former sponsor of my show and then Ethereum. So what's your take on they're all yeah. They're all growing, right? Every single one of those platforms is growing right now. And we all still feel like we're just at the beginning, right? I think we all feel like there's possibility for a 1000x of the space in the next like year or two. So, you know, each of those uh, platforms has a 1000x opportunity. And I don't think any of them is going to capture all 1000x of it, right? So I think the thing we should be focused on is how do we make sure that 1000x happens? What are all the forces that keep that 1000x from happening? 
um, and let's make it happen as, fa- as fast as possible. And you know, the same way that we trained you know billions of people to use QWERTY keyboards and mouse and you know usernames and passwords and subject lines and email addresses, right? It's all complicated stuff. Like that's the focus is let's get everyone learning this new complicated piece of technology that generally looks and works the same no matter what platform you're on. Let's get a, a billion people or four billion people using it as fast as we can. And the market will decide the, you know, the mark, the division of, uh, of value and, uh, and market share for different platforms based on their, you know, performance characteristics or usability or cultural, you know, focus. Um, but I think we should just be focused on, you know, making at least some of these blockchain dreams come true as fast as possible. And whatever technology, you know, helps people get there faster and get over that hump, I think, um, you know, we should all be getting behind. Including Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana, all everything else. I'm a, I'm a competitive person. I like I like the competition, not not in the sense that I ever want to kill my opponent, right? I want to I want to have a good battle and I want to learn from it. <laughs> so I, I think like the really cool thing about crypto is this is so widely different than working at a big tech firm is that everyone is really open. All the Almost all of the, at least all the top chains, you, you know, the folks you mentioned, they're all open source, open source first. They publish their ideas. They want people to kind of get behind what they're building, their technical vision. They're effectively giving away their secrets, right? There's no trade secrets here. They're not hiding their tech. And all of these things are now available to, to everyone else, right? There's no reason why Solana couldn't borrow the tech that the Ethereum folks is researching right now and implement sharding. Not that, not that I'm saying that will ever happen <laughs> because I, I have my own vision, but there's also no reason why the Ethereum folks can look at what we're doing, what we accomplished through and shift and be like, okay, this is actually a really good way to scale the execution layer, right? That that's all open. That, and that competition is really accelerating how quickly things get built, how quickly products ship, how quickly adoption happens. Um, it's awesome. So Neon Labs is building an Ethereum virtual machine on Solana, and there's already a number of apps that or dApps that plan to deploy on the Neon EVM. Once that once that's in place, what do you think will happen to the Ethereum market share when it comes to DeFi? Um what what do you mean? Like do you think Ethereum as it's do you think folks are going to just jump ship and leave Ethereum and go to Neon? I mean, well, I hope that happens, but... <laughs> for, De- for DeFi on Ethereum, I do wonder that, right? Because if we're just looking at throughput and block time, like all these things, like those are what I would imagine would be the features that would attract, you know, DeFi even more so than things like NFTs. Um, although, sorry... Uh, NFT art, NFT gaming is a different story. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's just, I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this. It just sort of looks a little bit more purpose-built for that use, right? I think that people like leaving Ethereum is is just never going to happen. Like those folks that built Ethereum, like Kane, like Stani, they're going to stay there. And that's fine. And those applications may be multi-chain, but those are true Ethereum devs. And Neon can help them accelerate. Like there's some people that are like, Hey, I want to run Avian on Neon and that's going to happen. And those folks will participate in those things, in, in those protocols. But I think reality is that what should happen is that the benefits of EVM on Solana is that you can start building new applications in Solidity running in EVM that cannot take leverage and participate in the broader Solana ecosystem, right? They can call out to Serum. And that's a new set of applications that are going to grow on, on Solana. You, it's, it's, it's just really rare that you see somebody like abandon and move, right? Like what you see, well, what real success looks like is if the new thing just outgrows the old. Um, and that's far more likely. You, you know, the, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, so uh, I didn't necessarily mean, because you said like if you know, you didn't expect Stani would leave Ethereum. So this refers to Stani Kulachov, who founded Ave, and Ave is going to deploy on Neon uh, EVM. 
But I didn't necessarily mean that he would stop building on Ethereum, but more that for whatever TV total value locked is um, in Ave, that we might see quite a big flow. Well, I don't know. You, yeah, it's, you tell it's me. Game theory optimal for anybody you know who um, now has a path to not have to fork their development team and and spread its focus over two different languages to be able to franchise their brand to any new chain where users are being acquired. Because if they don't, then somebody else will do it, right? They'll fork it, um, they'll launch it on that chain, they'll have a, a name that probably rhymes, you know, and and they'll try and eat that new segment of users and market um, because, you know, the, the original team wasn't going after it. So I think it's it's not a, a cultural question or a values question. It's just game theory. It's It's optimal for them to do that. But then I think, you know, you're, you, you are onto something because if you look at Brave, um, you know, and, and what Brendan Eich has decided to do is um, even if there is a, a franchise of an Ethereum based um, application on Solana that's deployed on Neon and it's on, you know, multiple EVM chains, they've chosen to default to the Solana version in all, you know, in the Brave wallet and the Brave, you know, swap interface. Um, because they see value in, you know, the user accounts and balances all being simple and unified for the end user. So there is pretty clear value to an end user. Um, and I think if you see more, you know, platforms taking that stance on neon deployed versions of, you know, Ethereum, originally Ethereum based applications, you could, you know, you could see some, some meaningful movement, but we don't know yet. Right. Yeah, actually, when when do you expect that that will be finished? Twenty twenty two, sometime. You're talking about Brave or Neon or no? Sorry, yeah, Neon. Neon should be going live within a few weeks, I think. Um, oh wow! Like in the fi- okay. They're in the final stretch. Of, I don't know. I, I hope I didn't leak anything, but like they're in the final stretch. From what I can tell, as an engineer, they're basically just in the final stretch of of getting stuff done. <laughs> okay, so, so we uh, might. We might see it like by the end of the year. That would be good. That'd be a good Christmas yeah. present. <laughs> okay. So maybe I'll get an answer to my question sooner yeah. than I thought. Um, so in contrast, uh, when it comes to NFTs, I don't know if you were aware, NFTs on Ethereum are, well, you probably are aware, <laughs> are seen as higher value uh, than those on Solana. And there was an NFT artist who um, I interviewed for a panel that I did where he said he got a grant to create NFTs on Solana. But his collectors were like, oh, we, we wouldn't want to buy in Solana. We prefer to buy in Ethereum. And I was curious what your take is on that. So this is partly why I think this idea of like mass exodus from Ethereum is just never going to happen. Because you have core Ethereum users that hold ETH. To them, honestly, the gas prices are in ETH. They're not that expensive because they have a bunch of ETH. <laughs> they don't look at it as dollars spent, right? Because they're not speculators. They're ETH users. They have a bunch of ETH and they're spending a small fraction of their ETH to acquire NFTs for much larger, you know, much larger amounts of ETH. And that, that user base is there. What you need to actually grow is a native Solana base user base that is here because they, they like Solana. They like Phantom. They want to participate in this community and do stuff here. So that that's the this is why like I think like it's hard to know where where things flip, right? Like who's growing new users faster is probably the most important metric metric than who is able to get, you know, liquidity mining rewards and pull TVL from Ave and you know one EVM chain to another. And so do you know who's I mean, how would you measure who's getting more users faster? That's really so hard. We see our metrics, you know, the stuff that uh, Phantom report, Phantom folks report. Um, it's over a million monthly active users, and it's about what one point four now. So it's 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 bumping by like a hundred or one hundred fifty thousand a week. And those are not MetaMask users. So there's like well, some of them, uh, I'm sure, are. But for what we can tell, they're not. So oh, really? Some are, some, some are, but like we, don't, you know, it's hard to tell. But that's anecdotally what we see is new people coming into the space that are trying crypto for the first time through Phantom, and that's their first experience. Wow! Wait, 
How do you know that they don't also have Ethereum wallets? This is based on just like feedback that I'm getting from folks on, on, on Twitter. So I don't know. Right? This is like anecdotally. Like, hey, this, this, is my fir- this is my first time trying, like doing self-custody, doing DeFi. The first time I tried it was on Solana. And I tried MetaMask and oh my God, this is not what I want. Oh, wow. Wait, like they find MetaMask more difficult to use? Correct. Yeah. Because the experience with them is pretty slow, right? <laughs> yeah, the, I, I've never seen negative feedback on on Phantom. Almost 100% positive feedback, and every every time I've seen a review of it, you know what I hear is that it's the best wallet in the industry, and that's never changed. And then I think at some point, like anecdotal or I guess like survey data, both on developers and users, um, started to cross past the 50% threshold of like. You know, uh, more than 50% of the developers building on Solana had never written a smart contract before. Um, and same with, with end users. Wow, that's great. And so then how are they finding out about... Because like, I, I guess I would have just imagined that a lot of people come to crypto through you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, which are the two main things that you know, everybody kind of, kind of knows about. And then they kind of branch out. So then how are they coming kind of more directly to... I feel like the whole industry knew this was going to happen for like a year and a half, that NFTs were going to be something that people would learn about before they even care that it's on blockchain, before they know it's on Ethereum or Solana or anything. All they know is that there's some, you know, dank memes and pictures and collectibles and, um, you know, and, and a, a, you know, an ounce of culture um, and something important that they can own. And as they build that understanding and start to engage with those things. I mean, from what I've heard, uh, a lot of people are interacting with Phantom, buying NFTs that their friends turn them on to using Solana, and they don't even know what Solana is. They they haven't heard of Solana, the network. Um, So, yeah, I mean, (laughs) they know Phantom because Phantom's the the extension they open up, and soon they'll know, you know, that it's the, the app that they open up. That's what people care about. That is great. I love that. Yeah, because actually what I was going to ask you was, um, I don't know if you saw this tweet, but that collector G-Money tweeted that buying a Solana Punk was like buying a fake Chanel bag. And <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm glad you guys are laughing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, think- I mean, it kind, it kind of is. Yeah, like a, a Soul Punk. But I think the Solana Monkey business and the DGN Ape Academy is it's different. It's not, it's not copying. Like there's originality there. The communities are doing original things. And to someone coming in, um, as a newcomer, they're experiencing what a DAO can do. Um, and how, you know, a collective organizing force of a a similar profile photo can permeate through all of their social networks and they can feel like they belong to something, even if they're moving between Twitter and Reddit and, you know, um, Xbox live. Like that's, that's the powerful thing. And those communities are doing, you know, I mean, they, they're, they're not sitting around just asking what did CryptoPunks do and let's just copy that, right? I mean, it's inspired for sure, but it's a whole new product line. It's a whole new set of experiments and it's diverging very quickly. So ETH OGs are, you know, they're, they're not paying attention to this stuff. It's like, it's, cra- it's kind of crazy to me sometimes talking to people who obviously are loving their time, you know, experimenting and, and continuing to be part of the culture of Ethereum, but they literally have no idea that these things even exist on Solana, right? Like they don't know that, you know, there are celebrities that are joining these communities. Um, the, the communities are huge. The discords are giant. Um, a lot of these people are experiencing crypto for the first time. I don't blame them because there's a lot going on in Ethereum. It's hard to keep track even of just what's happening in Ethereum. Um, but like comparing it to, you know, the third NFT project that ever came up on Solana that was just a straight copy of something on Ethereum is like not focusing on the right thing. There's been 2,500 new NFT, like 10,000 NFT collections launched on Solana since that, right? So the world changes very quickly. Yeah. And I saw People Pleaser did one on Solana, which was really cool. I thought uh, it's sort of like a gamified uh, version. And yeah, you could kind of like get better um nfts if you bought all of them and it was very fair the way that everything was priced like it was it was very cool i thought the way it was structured all right so at this point we're going to turn to a few questions that 
I got off Twitter when I told Twitter that I was going to be interviewing you guys. And some of these were kind of fun. One was, if the Dow happened today on Solana, meaning 14% of all soul were stored in a contract and hacked, would you decide to rescue the funds, meaning to do a hard fork to do that? And what for your answer, why or why not? That's a good question. I think under similar, I would say Solana validators would make have to make that decision. The way that process would work works is that there's like a, you know, proposal process to push PRs and then the feature activation in which the supermajority of the validators have to vote. And it's their decision to make the to make those choices. Me personally, I would probably make the same decision as Vitalik in this like early ecosystem that I see this like tiny, tiny baby just about to walk <laughs> and like get hit in the head. <laughs> like I, I gotta save it, right? I got I gotta save this baby. Uh but like uh we don't have the power to do so. And it's gonna be at the end of the day up to the validators and the folks that could shut it down our um, you know, circle exchanges, a bunch of different participants could just say, no, we don't want to accept this fork. And, uh, you know, the community will figure it out. And then there will be Solana Classic. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows, right? <laughs> well, that's, I, I, that's I, what happened when the exchanges. Yeah. yeah. I, I tend to agree with Vitalik that the ultimate power is in the hands of the people that are running these things. And the whole point of crypto is really to empower people. The way we can do that is with cryptography, giving them self-custody, giving them the ability to run nodes. And then those tools allow them to make these complex decisions and, and move stuff forward. But it's ultimately them that get to do it. You know, it's like, I, I don't worship the machine. <laughs> and Raj, do you have an opinion on this? I say, let it ride. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, <it's, laughs> you know, I mean, the, the ledger is the ledger, and yeah, the validators get to decide whatever they want. If if they if they wanted to um, roll back the ledger, then you know that's up to them. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be be fighting. I think to um, to make that happen and create a fork and um, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe maybe this is where we split totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be fighting to make to let that happen either. I think that's that's a, maybe. I think the there's like I, I don't actually don't know how things went down in with Ethereum, but there's this like legend that Vitalik wrote the code and it happened and pushed the change and then like all this stuff spread. Right? No, no, that, even, that's not what happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. But the fact is that like something catastrophic state failure is going to be up to the validators and all the different like people, parts of the community. The best that we can do is just kind of guide them and say, like, you know, based on my engineering analysis, if you made, made this pull request, I think it'll do the thing that you want. But I'm not going to be the one to, uh, to push for it. Okay. And Raj, uh, just wanted to clarify since, you know, like I said, it would be 14% of all soul and there is a proof of stake element in Solana. So despite that, that still wouldn't kind of. I would want to see what happens. <laughs> the, 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 the percentage of the soul that gets destroyed or gets locked up or frozen or whatever, isn't that it, it doesn't matter with regards to quorum selection or voting because whatever whatever amount of soul you use for the quorum, it's a percentage of that is what matters, how the, how the weight is distributed. So that that actually doesn't have that much impact on the on the, the network itself. Okay. All right. Well, we'll have to see if anything happens in that regard. And, and then uh, yeah, who knows, maybe hope, afterward, it'll be Raj <laughs> in hope. charge of Solana Classic and, <laughs> and it's only in charge of Solana, or not in charge, but, you know, kind of the figurehead for Solana. So we'll see. <laughs> Who's the All right, another of Ethereum Classic. Is there one? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Is there a figurehead for Ethereum Classic? Um, no, because it was kind of more the exchanges that drove uh, the rise of that. So, yeah, there was. It wasn't like there was an Ethereum one of the honchos that was uh, driving that. So, 
Um, but yeah, if, if the two co-founders on Solana split on this issue, then we could see, see that happen. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> if it means I get to stop working with Jolie, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> By the way, for people listening on the podcast, hilariously, they each kind of like raised their fist at each other when they were doing it. It was funny. But anyway, okay. So another question was about scaling. Someone tweeted at me, if the sole single use case is that it has a higher throughput than ETH and Sol will kill ETH, what about sole competitors like Cadena and Avex that ca- that claim a higher throughput than Sol? Will Cadena and Avex kill Sol? Is this a race to the bottom on throughput? Not unless they implement Solana. So the way that we're scaling right now and the usage that you see right now, by sheer load of just the applications that are using the network, it's somewhere like 70 million transactions per day. And that's roughly around 700 TPS. That's more than all the other EVM chains combined. So, <laughs> and that's, that's just current load. That's not the capacity. So for for the network to like hit capacity limits, uh, for actual any congestion control to kick in, we have to have blocks that have more than half of the remaining capacity for fees to double. That's kind of like how our, our congestion control works. There's not a dynamic auction for who gets to go first. There's a governor that looks at, are you using 50% of the remaining capacity, then double the fees. So some of the, you know, the spam bots go away. Right. So at 25,000 TPS, that's running for, I think, six blocks or whatever, fees are going to double. Then at, you know, what is it, 37 and a half, fees are going to double again. And, you know, every time remaining capacity drops by half, fees double. So for that to happen, we still have a lot of ways to go um, in terms of like usage adoption, you know, because it's expensive to generate that much valid, that many valid transactions. Okay. All right. Next Twitter question was from Tegan Klein of The Graph. She asked, what happens if Sam Bankman-Free leaves the Solana ecosystem? And I I was curious about this just because I'm not sure what his current involvement is. So why don't you illuminate us? What is his involvement? What is his Um, current involvement? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we have a like an awesome relationship with those folks, but it's not like a, it's because they move fast. This is what I'm trying to tell people is that like, of all the people in crypto that we worked with, the people that tend to end up in Solana are the ones that just like, no frills, want to get stuff done. And that's the foundation of that relationship. And like, it's really rare to find them. Sam is one of those people. He's like, okay, we want to build this DAX. Let's just move mountains to get it out. And us and them and everybody in the ecosystem moved those mountains. And now Serum has like a bajillion, bajillion startups are building on top of Serum now. <laughs> so that happens because people just want to get stuff done. What does it mean for Sam to leave? He's not like a mercenary trader. He's a builder. He's not, is he going to build Solana himself? He doesn't want to do that. It already exists, right? He wants to build products and get users to use stuff and like have FTX grow. And those are like, you know, the only reason he would leave and to go somewhere else is because we screwed something up and we stopped being hungry and we stopped building things, you know, at that same pace. But likewise, if he's like gets lazy, there's there's plenty of other, (laughs) there's plenty of other hungry people out there. (laughs) There's plenty of other crypto billionaires to, no, to, uh, I, it's not the money's never the problem, right? Like, there's always an infinite amount of capital, like right now, especially. It's do you have like the drive to go build a product, to grind through all the pain points, get it to market, grow the user base? Those people are extremely rare, and the amount of capital when it grows, the, the number of those people stays constant. Right. And this is why seed level valuations jump by the factors of five, like in a matter of, of like six months. This is why it's so hard to find those founders and like they're like why growth is hard for the for the entire ecosystem. Right. You think there's like three, you know, two trillion dollars worth of capital floating around in crypto. Why can't we get people to use it? Like money doesn't solve all those problems. You actually need to find really, really good people that build stuff. So like. So far, like 
Sam is Sam wants to get a billion people into crypto. We want to get a billion people into crypto. If you're listening and this is your dream, like just go start building and you know, we will end up in the same ecosystem because this is how hungry we are. I, I think the world hasn't like caught up to exactly how many people are building on Solana and how big and uh and, and fast growing the ecosystem is. Like the value that Sam brought by being ostensibly the, the highest profile, um, most visible and most deep pocketed person that was able to, you know, um, st- stand up as a, as a leader, um, inspiring others to build on the network. And that was maniacally focused on user experience and building something with crypto that normal people could access. That value can't be put back in the bottle. Like it's, it's you know, it already catalyzed hundreds of other teams and builders and now I have more of those maniacal builders than I can keep count of, you know. And like, I they're not all just sitting around saying, "Well, what's Sam going to do?" And where, you know, what happens if he leaves? They're 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 acquiring users. They're building products that have millions of users, right? Like they're thinking about how to get to ten million users and a hundred million users. Like it's you know, it's living in the past to ask that kind of question. All right. So just to wrap up, where do you hope to see Solana go in the next year? One year, man, that's the hardest prediction to make. I can, I can predict six weeks and five years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, give me the five years. I'm curious, like what's your vision for what Solana will be at that time? I think there's a hundred million person DAO that's organizing capital, like very large capital allocation decisions, governance decisions that have real world impact all on Solana. I think there'll be many of those, many, not just but one, 100 million be, person doubt. There's going to be at least one, 100 million person doubt. Wow. Within five years. Easy. Huh. When that happens, right? Like that shift, it's a hockey stick shift, right? As soon as people get it, it starts growing like wildfire and it's a nonlinear thing. You're not going to see it happen. Like, oh my God, we're going to add a million people a month. It's going to be like hard work blood, sweat, and tears, right? Like optimizations and UX and and like use cases and all these things. And all of a sudden, boom. So that, I think that boom is going to happen within five years. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. I I will say, uh, yeah, DAOs definitely have captured my imagination and I'm I'm sure for a lot of people. Um, But I think that is kind of what I'm most excited about coming up. All right. Well, where can people learn more about each of you and Solana Labs and Solana? Twitter. Twitter.com. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Solana.com for like, especially if you're a dev, there's some, there's links, documentation. There's going to be another hackathon. Uh, so just like stay tuned. If you want to know what I'm thinking every 30 seconds, follow me on Twitter. Hey, Yakovenko is his and Raj Gokul is my handle. Okay. Awesome. Thank you both so much for coming on Unchained. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Anatoly, Raj, and Solana, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, and Mark Murdoch. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.